back to the Legal Digest podcast. This is your host, Natalie, and with me today is Maddie Weber, who works in the in-house legal department for a tech firm. She also provides tech law courses to other in-house legal professionals interested in making the move. We're going to be talking about her career journey and how she qualified as a solicitor through an alternative route, the New York Bar. Thanks for joining me today, Maddie. Well, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk to you about how you qualified through the New York Bar, and I think there will be expiring solicitors who will be thinking about alternative routes if they're not keen on going through the, the traditional route, or maybe feel like they haven't yet been successful and find there isn't a huge amount of information. And when we first spoke, I also didn't realise um, when you said to me that the New York Bar means that you don't necessarily need to do the practical training that comes with the traditional training contract. So, but before we kind of go into that, can you tell us a bit about your work as a solicitor in a tech firm? Yeah, of course. So I am a commercial counsel in the in-house legal team of a software company. I mainly deal with contracts for the sale of our software. So I mainly deal with the negotiations, the drafting, reviewing of contracts for the sale of our software. And um, that also often involves data processing agreements, because as a software provider, we are, in nine of 10 cases, a data processor, which requires us to have a data processing agreement under the GDPR. I do sometimes also get involved with other things like helping with sort of customer requests, customer queries. Sometimes we have customers that have very lengthy sort of request for proposals, like sort of bidding tendering processes that I have to sort of help respond to. I also help a little bit with compliance things like non-slavery or anti-bribery, like policies, that kind of thing. Although I've been doing a bit less of that since I've um, changed jobs in May. But yeah, my my bread and butter is essentially contracts. That's what I do 90% of the time is looking at a customer markup and telling them that they're going to have to... (laughs) change their expectations a bit and do you work with other lawyers um I work within a team so we're in a team of of lawyers so yes I do work with the people within my team if there's things that I've never seen before if there are sort of projects that I sort of don't have much experience in or Sometimes they're just projects that several of us do. So I do work with lawyers within my team. I also work with lawyers externally in two ways. So one way is sometimes we instruct external counsel when there are sort of very specific things that we need help with. Like, for example, mergers and acquisitions, we usually have external help or certain employment matters will have external help. Um, The second way I work with lawyers is, of course, when negotiating for the sale of software with a customer the customer will have their legal representation, either externally appointed or another in-house lawyer that I'll negotiate with. So that's how I work with, with lawyers in different ways. Early, I think, common setup, I think, with in-house legal teams working with kind of a mix of external and other people within, um, within the organisation. Um, so moving on to your route to qualification, you chose an alternative route. Can you take us through your journey to qualification all the way from university and onwards so people can kind of get a flavour of how you ended up taking the New York Bar? Sure. So it's been quite a long journey. So (laughs) it's got a very long-winded, long-winded explanation. But to start at the beginning, I um, did an English law 
um, degree at Cardiff University, a bog standard qualifying law degree. And during that time, I was doing sort of the very common applying for VAC schemes, training contracts, all the, the, you know, the standard stuff. I wasn't getting anywhere. I was getting to the interview stage, but not getting beyond that. And after I finished my LLB, this is going to sound a bit sad, but I literally, I had nothing to do. I didn't have a job. I couldn't find a job. I applied for master's programs, so LLM programs, which um, I ended up doing an LLM at Cardiff because I received a scholarship. And yeah, as I said, the only reason I did that is because I, I literally, I need to pass my time somehow. So that's why I had to do it. Um, during my master's, I um, still applied for VAC schemes and training contracts, still wasn't getting anywhere. And I reached a point where I was like, I, I just need to find work. So I literally went on my university job and um, applied for every single role that I could find on the job board that had something to do with law, compliance, commercial, anything. So the one thing I was able to find was a in-house internship with General Electric Aviation in Cheltenham. So that was a 12 month internship in their contracts department, which was actually, it was designed as a placement. So like, you know how there are sandwich degrees where people do four years and they work in that third year. So it was that, that was yeah. the only thing I could find <laughs> after, <laughs> after my master's. So anyone listening who's sort of despairing, I, I totally feel you. And I hope that sort of my journey gives you some inspiration that you can get there. So is after that, my master's... Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Is that something, is that partly to do with the way the job market was at the time? When you were looking, um, or I, I can't even blame it on the economy. I, you know, <laughs> it was in 2017, so I, there wasn't nothing okay. particularly going on. It was just either bad luck or it was just the, may, the way it was meant to be. And, you know, there are a lot of law graduates and a lot of amazing law graduates. It's a competitive yeah. market. It is hard. Like, I didn't appreciate how hard it is until I was yeah, a master's graduate, sort of yeah. starting an internship with a ton of second years. Um, <laughs> it was it was they, quite a humble yeah. experience. They but... don't tell you these things at university, that's for sure. Yeah. No, they really don't. They sort of tell you, go apply to these London training contracts and yeah. just keep on going until you land one. But that's yeah. not always how it works. So I did the, um, I started the internship and it was an amazing experience. It was in the contracts team. So I was doing lots of contract reviews, negotiations, drafting. I was researching laws. I was doing legal work, even though I was only an intern, I was getting experience and I really enjoyed it. So about eight months into my internship, I asked whether I would be able to stay on permanently and I also kind of said oh I really want to qualify and the answer I got wasn't what I'd hoped for the answer was well if there's a vacancy um well you know we can talk about it but at the moment it doesn't look like there is a vacancy and we're not so sure about qualification either so I basically had to start applying for jobs again because I, I couldn't sort of you know be unemployed so um I applied on LinkedIn again for every single in-house 
role I could find, contracts manager roles, commercial officer roles, paralegal roles, anything and anything. And again, um, the one offer I got, it was almost like it was kind of meant to be. Um, the one offer I got was from a software company for a contract manager position within the legal team of a software company. And um, during the interview, I sort of said, oh, I want to qualify, that's sort of my aim. Um, um, I want to be a solicitor. And they were very amenable to that. They liked the idea of having someone around for a few years and sort of support them through qualification. Because I think with a lot of contract manager and paralegal roles, like the, the fear of the employers, like, oh, they'll move on quite yeah. quickly to find sort of an opportunity to qualify. So they were like, okay, well, if we help you through qualification, you, you're going to stick around for a few years. So they quite sort of like that. Unfortunately, they couldn't offer me a traditional training contract because they didn't have the contentious seat that you need for a traditional training contract. So they couldn't offer that. And they also couldn't loan me out to a law firm, which some in-house people or some in-house departments can do. They can do that. So what they said is, how about um, you start off with Silex to become a chartered legal executive? <clears throat> Those people that don't know, a chartered legal executive is a type of lawyer in England and Wales that is authorized to practice in a certain area of law. By contrast, the solicitor is entitled to practice in, in any area. So that's the key differentiator. Unfortunately, it is, I think, still often the case, at least in my experience, that charter legal executives are sort of not seen as equivalents to solicitor. But that's what the software company says, like, oh, how about we support you through Silex? Because it is actually possible if you're a charter legal executive, you have the legal practice course and the professional sales course is possible to qualify as a solicitor that way. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds great. Um, I'll do that. I'll start with Silex and then I'll do the LPC and PSC and poof, I'm a solicitor in a roundabout sort of way, but yeah. still working and getting that experience in the legal team of a, of a large international software company. So I started with Silex. I hadn't done the LPC at that point. So I had to do exams and coursework and three, three years of qualifying work experience. So I, during that period, I started looking into doing the LPC. <clears throat> I applied for the LPC. I had an offer to do the LPC, the online part-time two-year sort of LPC that you can do at University of Law, I think it was. And I was literally like going through all that. I was going through like my enrollment papers when I had this sort of weird, um, I guess not light bulb moment, but weird sort of like flashback to my time at university. And I remembered that I, in my second year at university, I sat through a presentation by Barbary. Barbary is a prep course provider for um, what is now called the SQE to qualify in England and Wales, but they also do US bar prep. And I remembered them saying that as an English law graduate, it's possible to qualify in New York. And then once you're a foreign qualified attorney, it's possible to do the qualified lawyer transfer scheme or shorten to QLTS, which has now been phased out by the way. But that, so at the time when I was doing my LPC enrollment stuff, that was in 2019. So the QLTS was still there. And I remembered sort of thinking, 
oh, hang on a minute, there might be a smarter way of, of going about the alternative route to qualification because the LPC is not so flexible the way I understood it. It's like you do your workshops when they happen, you do your prep work when it's due, you do your exams when they happen, essentially. Whilst um, with the New York Bar and QLTS, the prep is completely flexible. You just turn up to the exams. So that was one reason I was more inclined to go down the New York Bar QLTS route because working in software, it can be very time consuming, particularly quarter end. You may not sort of be able to leave your desk that easily because you just have to prioritize the contracts in order to get deals done. So having flexibility was very important to me. And the other thing as well, which led me to go down the New York Bar QTS route is the LPC, when I enrolled for it, I think it was like 15,000 pounds or it was really? quite a lot of money. Yeah. There's probably more now, depending on where you do it. Yeah. But the prep courses and the exams for the New York Bar and QTS, they came to about the same. So it's like you qualify two receptions for the price of yeah. one. Like, which one do you choose? So I scrapped the LPC, my LPC application. I withdrew my application and enrolled in a New York Bar Prep course. That was in 2019. And I had planned to sit the New York Bar in July 2020. As we all know, in March 2020, it so I couldn't do the New York bar in July 2020. Um, at that point, it was already clear that QLTS would be phased out in favor of SQE. And uh, it wasn't yet clear whether what that meant for foreign qualified lawyers, like what they would have to do under the new SQE process once QLTS is phased out. So I was in a bit of a sticky spot where I wasn't sure what to do because I couldn't do the New York bar. But um, I asked the SRA whether it's possible for me to start QLTS, even though I'm not a qualified lawyer abroad. Yeah. They were like, yeah, well, you can start the QLTS, whatever you want to. Okay. So in July 2020, I did the QLTS multiple choice test, which is the first QLTS exam. It's very similar to SQ1. It's just shorter. But um, SQ1 is also really lengthy horrible multiple choice tests so it's kind of similar so I did the QLTS MCD in July and then I was going to progress to the second part of the QLTS a couple of months later um, which was called the OSCE and that again is, is similar to the SQE2 it's, it's just a bit shorter like the subjects are a bit um, fewer subjects included so I was going to do that, but unfortunately, the SRA um, decided in that period that they're going to introduce deadlines um, by when you had to apply for admission if you're going through the QLTS route. At that point, I didn't know when I was going to be a New York attorney because there was still a pandemic, couldn't yeah. travel. I had no idea when I was going to be admitted as a New York attorney. And unfortunately, the SRA, I don't know why they did that. They said, you know, if you want to qualify via QTS, you have to apply for admission, i.e. be a foreign qualified lawyer as well by the original date was like, it's like August 2021. It wasn't much time. It was like a year. So not very realistic. And that was incredibly stressful because sort of my qualification route kind of got shot to pieces a bit. 
So I found people on LinkedIn that were in a similar boat to me who had planned on doing the York Bar and QTS to qualify um, without needing qualifying work experience. So I found a couple of people and we wrote some angry lengthy letters <laughs> to the SRA because the traditional route, the LPC training contract route, that isn't going to be phased out until 2032. So we felt a little hard done by that our route, which yes, was not traditional, bit odd, was being phased out so much sooner. And the SRA was sort of saying like, yes, but we need to introduce the SQE. We can't sort of delay that. And we were like, you don't need to delay that. You just need to accept um, QLTS route applicants for a bit longer. And they were like, no, we don't want to do that. So it went back and forth a bit. And in the end, they were like, okay, as a compromise, if you, instead of doing the QLTS OSCE, you do the SQE too, you have longer to apply for admission. So if that second bit you do under the new system, you have until, I think it's March, 2024, you have to apply for admission. And we were like, okay, fine, we'll take that. <laughs> it's something, it's not ideal. And it has sort of artificially delayed my qualification was like, because I wasn't able to do the OSCE because I would have had a much earlier deadline to apply for admission. So I've like had my route sort of delayed by a year for that reason, but it's yeah. fine. <laughs> so, Everyone had, had something to lose over the pandemic. So it was fine. <laughs> In, um, a frustrating process. Yeah, it was, yeah. I'd, I'm not quite sure why they decided to do that. Cause like I said, for the traditional um, training contract people, you know 2032 like you have a decade and yeah. like for people who qualify abroad and then do QLTS you had like a year which yeah. you know is completely unrealistic in a pandemic so I think they just because the SQE in hindsight I guess because the SQE is kind of model on the QLTS they just didn't think it would make much of a difference to us okay. which um I can kind of see but it was just it was it wasn't necessarily necessary with these deadlines but as I said it's fine we got there in the end so That's in amazing. June 20 June 2021 I qualified as a chartered leader executive okay. which um, allowed me to progress into a legal counsel role um, as promised by my employer which um I mean I was doing the same before anyway it just had a different halfway more money essentially so that was good. I'm glad I still did Silex because that allowed me to progress because yeah. otherwise I wouldn't have had any qualification. Yeah. So that was that. Then in July 2021, I sat the New York bar. I passed luckily first time and I met sort of all the requirements within that year by December. And then I applied for admission and I was admitted in May to the New York Bar as an attorney. So you can see like it takes it takes time to, yeah. I mean, I did everything as soon as I could. And it just, it takes time to process these things. And in April, 2022, I set the SQE2, which I just found out as well. I luckily passed and I've just submitted my admission application to become a solicitor. So finally got there in the end um it's not gone through yet but hopefully it's not going to be too long and then I'll be a solicitor a charter legal executive and a New York attorney so it's weird because at uni I was like I want a training contract because yeah. I want to be a solicitor and I ended up with I guess more qualifications that yeah. I, I'd aim for 
And um, it was a really hard, um, challenging and emotional road, not gonna lie, with the pandemic and sort of the phasing out of QRTS. But in the end, I'm really glad that I did it this way and I, I wouldn't change it for anything now. Can you talk us through a bit about the New York bar? How how does it kind of work? How do you discover it as an option? Where you mentioned that you, whilst looking at courses, that's how you discovered it. But what is the process for anyone thinking of doing the same thing? Um, sure. So I think as I, I briefly mentioned before, I discovered it. Uh, I realized later on that I just discovered it much earlier at uni through a Barbary presentation because Barbary is like one of the biggest US bar prep course providers so that's how I heard of it and the way it works depends on when you started your legal studies so I started my legal education before 2016 so for me the requirements were that um, you need to have a, a law degree you need to have a three to a four year classroom law degree and preferably a common law law degree um, then you're eligible to sit the New York bar. So you need to pass the New York bar exam. You also need to do what is called the New York law course, which is an online course about um, specific New York laws. It's really not that sort of intense at all. Um, you also need to do the New York law exam, which is again, an online open book exam, not intense whatsoever. You also need to do the MPRE, the Multi-State Professional Responsibility Exam, which is an ethics exam, multiple choice, um, which you need to sit in like a Pearson View Center. It tests you basically on the American Code of Conduct. You have to study for it, but it's not, it's not too, too crazy. And you also need to do 50 hours of pro bono, which um, was a bit tricky because finding pro bono opportunities whilst working full times was not easy. But I was lucky again, my employer found a flexible pro bono project for me to do. So I was able to do that. If you start your legal studies after 2016, my understanding is, is that in addition to everything I've just mentioned, you also need a six month work experience sort of yeah requirement to fulfill I'm not entirely sure what that is my understanding is this is quite flexible but you need to show that you've worked for six months in some sort of legal capacity or that you've fulfilled sort of working you know where you sort of exercise legal skills that kind of thing so if, if you started studying law after 2016 you'll have an additional requirement to fulfill but um, overall, I have found the process in New York very straightforward compared to in the UK, <laughs> because um, you fulfilling the requirements for me, because there was no work experience requirement as I studied, you know, I started studying earlier. You, you kind of everyone gets the same shot at everything. It's not like, oh, I need to find work and millions of other people are applying for the same thing. And it's just a matter of, you know, almost potluck whether you get that in sort of with the New York bar. It was just you need to fulfill the requirements and everyone gets a chance to fulfill those requirements. And then once you do, you submit your application and that's that. So I found it quite straightforward and really, really good experience overall. And really, I quite enjoyed studying for the New York bar. It might sound strange, <laughs> but I actually quite, I quite liked it because you cover a ton of subjects. A lot of it is um, similar 
to English law because a lot of the stuff is modeled on, on English law. Um, quite a few things are a bit different, you know, like criminal procedures or constitutional law, that's a bit different, but it's it's just really nice to have an overview of everything and learn about a different legal system. So yeah, and no, I'm really glad I did it in the end. Yeah, it sounds, you know, like it was definitely much more straightforward and I'm wondering why not many people know about it as an alternative route because that could be game-changing for some people I think. Um, in terms of completing it, is it all done online then or do you have to go to New York? Um, for the New York bar exam you do have to go to New York. I was lucky I was um, that one session in July 2021 where it was done remotely due to COVID okay. so I, I sat it from my bedroom at home Based <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you do have to travel to New York for the New York bar exam the New York law course and the New York law exam they're online so you can do those from anywhere the MPRE um I my understanding is you have to sit that from the US as well although they were talking about making that available in other test centers again I was lucky with the COVID situation I was able to sit it from London but um I don't know if they kept that on I don't think they have okay. so you do, you do have to travel for the yeah. New York bar and in terms of the cost is it how much does it cost them to take the New York bar um I don't know what it is right now, but when I sat at the exam fee, I think it was $700. Okay, so it's not into the thousands like the LPC. No, okay. it's much cheaper. So qualifying in New York is, if you were just to qualify in New York, it is a lot cheaper than qualifying in England. The yeah. expense of it with qualifying in the US is the law degree requirement because you you do need like a traditional law degree and it yeah I think they you're mainly eligible if you do an English like a common law law degree they're not so yeah. keen on civil degrees but I think you can sort of cure that if you do an LLM but they're okay. not they're not very flexible so I heard that if you do like a distance learning LLB they won't consider that so oh, that's okay. something to bear in mind is that they're very, they're quite traditional is the sense I guess. They want you to do a law degree like you would in the US, you know, like yeah. law school in the US, three to four years where you sit in a classroom and you go through loads of legal subjects. They kind of expect that. But if you have a traditional English law LLB degree, that should be fine. The other thing they don't accept is the GDL, the Graduate Diploma in Law. I had quite a few right, people okay. disappointed that they're not eligible because the GDL obviously is only a year yeah and I think LPC is not considered at all mm. I don't yeah so okay yeah but for someone with a standard law degree it's definitely something yeah. to look into definitely. and Barbary are really good at advising um whether you would be eligible I mean you have to submit all your paperwork to check if you're eligible before you sit the exam anyway so you go through that process, but Barbara, you're quite good with sort of just having a chat with you and sort of looking at your your background and sort of telling you if, if you've got a shot at being eligible or not. Okay, very interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we should have heard about that before. <laughs> yeah, it's not very well known. I know. Yeah. It's, um, 
well kept secret, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I mean, do you think that taking this route then has helped open up more opportunities for you? And would you ever practice as a New York attorney if you wanted mm. to? Um, so that's a really good question. I don't I don't think I've had more opportunities as such. What I would say is that it's helped me stand out a lot more. So I changed jobs a couple of months ago. So I changed um changed company in May. So I was applying for jobs earlier this year and I work for US software companies. So I applied mainly for US software in-house legal roles. And yeah, they they loved it. <laughs> I mean, as you can imagine, if you're a US corporation and someone applies who's a New York attorney, they're really into that. So it definitely helped me stand out in the job market because I found with a lot of US tech companies, a lot of the sort of hiring decision makers, they are sat in the US, they're US attorneys. So when you tell them I'm a US attorney, they're like, oh, I understand what that means. I can relate. I know like what you've done whilst if you tell them that I'm a solicitor or a barrister or a chartered executive they wouldn't have a clue what that means because yeah. obviously it's not their system right so I think it it helps you stand out in the job market depending what sector you're in and what industry you're in of course if you're like in you know local government or public sector it's probably going to be less of a game changer but if you're in international you know US centric corporate then I do think it sort of kind of pops you up on on the on the list of, of candidates. So yeah. yeah. And I think also yeah. with kind of more global organizations as well, having all these different qualifications um, on paper, I think it looks really good because if they've got a US, you know, office as you say, then they might feel more comfortable that you're able to work with the US teams and understand them and they can understand you. Um, no absolutely and I mean this is going to sound silly but like I don't I don't know any more than I would because the work that I do and what you study for your qualifications they're different things like I don't just because I'm a New York attorney doesn't mean that I'm an expert in American contract law because my experience is very UK centric but there is that sort of mentality that sort of mental oh she's a New York lawyer oh, we can use her for New York stuff. There's just that sort of mindset, that sort of tick boxing, as you were, like where it makes them feel more comfortable and more reassured that, oh, if we have a need for her to cover the US, she fulfills that requirement. So I think, you know, in practice, I don't think it makes a difference if you're a solicitor or a New York attorney, like you know the same stuff depending what your experience is. But it just mentally it sort of reassures your employees and it just makes you stand out a bit more because it's not it's not a very common thing like they're not millions of people abroad like outside of the US that are US attorneys that's just yeah. the way it is it does make you stand out yeah well you never know maybe people will start doing that now after listening to this <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I do hope so because I do feel like a lot of people are sort of not given what they're owed or not provided the opportunities that they should be just because a piece of paper is missing you know yeah. a qualified piece of paper so and I think that's a, a great sort of shame and something that hopefully will change in future um, yeah I remember working with some paralegals that never got a training contract and they were some of the best people that I've worked with 
and they were actually better than the more senior lawyers if I can say that um and it's just a shame that they'll never get to kind of progress um and qualify as a lawyer because their earning capacity as well is obviously capped because they're not qualified um but you know hopefully you know they can find other routes now that we're kind of talking about it a bit more and I think the SQE as well has opened that up a bit as well um there was an example actually that um came through to me and I think you were talking to this person about how they'd qualified but they weren't able to find a training contract um and had reached out and said like how can I do this I'm not actually in the UK so you know potentially for them that's something they could do do the New York bar and then qualify that way um so yeah there's definitely more possibilities now I think than before and I think most people say think that in order to be successful as a lawyer you've got to follow that traditional route you've got to get into a magic circle firm because they think that's going to set their career the minute they step foot in the door because when you're of that age I think you also don't know what you will do later you may change your mind you may do something else so do you have any advice on anyone that's thinking that it's not doing the New York bar what you've done is not a viable option just because it's different sure so that's a really really good question um I think I would just start off by saying success means different things to different people. So for some people, it might mean money. For some people, it means, you know, having a really good job title and being really high up in a hierarchy. To some, it means having amazing life balance. To some, it means having a super varied workload. I think before you sort of dig your heels into any particular route, you need to be honest with yourself and know what it is that you need in order to feel successful because yeah during my LLB I applied for magic circle training contracts and I thought that is what I need to be a successful lawyer I would have killed for one like honest I can be honest about that I was desperately trying for that but um in hindsight it was a blessing that it didn't work out and I now see that um fate kind of knew what it was doing because I noticed when I was working in in-house roles that I'm not so keen on working late nights. I'm not so keen on having work dumped on my desk without any notice. I mean, that doesn't happen so much in in-house, but it can still happen. And I noticed that I'm not about that life. Like I need to plan in order to be happy. I need to know when I can go to the gym, when I have my dinner, where I'm gonna be. So, the magic circle life probably wouldn't have been right for me <laughs> based on that <laughs> recognition and I sort of realize now that what I need is sort of flexibility the ability to work from home managing my workload and sort of yeah having that work-life balance and I do think that when you're at uni you kind of think oh magic circle magic circle that's it that's the the only way to get forward in life but it really depends I wouldn't be in the role that I am now had I not trained as to work in a software company because I am now in a role where I'm sole counsel to a certain part of the business and the reason why I can do that role is because I've got five years of solid software experience and 
I've been negotiating software contracts day in and day out for these five past five years. I've got a lot more experience in this area than someone that would have gone through the traditional training contract where you rotate every six months through different departments. That's just the fact of life. So I wouldn't be in this role had I gone through a traditional training contract, meaning that my progression within software in-house legal would be a lot slower slower had I gone through the traditional route so I think that's something to bear in mind like if you start in magic circle you can probably quite easily go through the law sort of law firm private practice motions but you know in-house that I mean people do move from private practice to in-house but you might not get to the more senior roles that quickly I think it depends obviously on the company but experience is key relevant experience is key working in-house is a slightly different kettle of fish than working in private practice so don't limit your options just by thinking I need a magic circle training contract to be successful because that's not the case there are thousands of lawyers that haven't got a magic circle training contract that are super successful lawyers that are the top of their field because they worked at their skill they got the relevant experience they picked up on things you know they had sort of the characteristics that have nothing to do where you train so I think don't limit yourself because you're not doing yourself any favors by potentially sort of delaying your progress because had I stuck to the training contract applications rather than qualifying in this roundabout sort of way I would still not be qualified like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that job that I'm doing now had I stuck to the training contract route because with the LPC and the, the two-year TC, that's three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been doing a legal counsel role for one and a half years now, like, you know, and I sort of, I got that quicker, I suppose. So yeah, yeah. don't limit yeah. yourself and just keep all your options open. And to some people, I also say, try to do things in parallel like if you really want a magic circle chain contract, fine, like apply for it, but then look at qualifying alternatively in parallel, like the New York bar, for example, that's a great thing to start doing whilst maybe also applying for training contracts and might also set you apart in your training contract applications. But then if the training contract doesn't work out. All you need after you're a New York attorney is the SQ1 and the SQ2, the two exams, you don't need qualifying work experience. So that cuts out quite a big sort of, you know, obstacle to qualification. So don't sort of, yeah, don't delay artificially because you're just going to forego opportunities that way. And also a lot of money, because like you said, like mm-hmm. a qualified lawyer earns a lot more than a non-qualified lawyer for no yep. other reason they're qualified, even if you're doing the same exactly. job. And yeah. that can be very expensive if you delay for too long. Very expensive. And it holds you back in life um, because, you know, some people, they can't buy a house and they want to get married but they're waiting to qualify before they do all of those things and yeah I agree with you on you know how different product practices as well because I think you're learning different skills but I think um you know for example I was talking to someone that just moved in-house and she was three years qualified and she said she'd never touched she was never allowed to touch a contract before she moved in-house and I was looking at contracts on the paralegal and once they gain your trust they let you they give you free reign to deal with it because you're in a small team and you don't have the resource so you get more responsibility but I think in private practice I think it prepares you for other things you're dealing with external clients so it depends what you enjoy more out of the job 
Um, and that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, if you found this discussion interesting, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. We will leave details of how you can get in touch with Maddie in this episode's description. And you can also reach out to us with any of your questions on social media or via email.